Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me. I'm Howard Parker. In October 2018, the Bluegrass Hall of Fame and Museum opened in Owensboro, Kentucky. This came about due to contributions from private donors and grants from local and state governments. The entire funding was $15.3 million and it has resulted in quite the attraction on the banks of the Ohio River. The entire Owensboro area has a lot going for it these days as a tourist attraction. The nearby home place of Bill Monroe, great restaurants in the area, and of course, the Bourbon Trail. During IBMA's World of Bluegrass, our Katie Daly spoke with Chris Joslin, the museum's executive director. I'm the executive director. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something you grew up thinking, I want to be an executive <laughs> director of a museum? Or well, how did you come to that? Oh, it's so how interesting. How do you follow that career path? Well, I've been hopelessly obsessed with bluegrass since I was about 10 when I started playing the banjo and my brother plays. And so, like many, I've, I've just been a fan of this music and it's just been in my DNA and been involved in this community for a long time. But where you are know, you from? I'm from Tennessee, originally East Tennessee, but I've been in Nashville for a long time. Moved there when I was a kid with my dad's job, ended up going to Belmont University there and just stayed. Always been involved in music, but not as a professional, mm -hmm. but just love bluegrass. And this is my community. These are my peeps. And so, you know, different season of life. About four years ago when my um, kiddos are both going off to college, Dan Hayes, as you know, is a friend of mine and we live in the friend same... Friend of mine. Yeah, that's right. He... Um, we live in the same community, and he's on the board of the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum. And so, he was telling me about the um, about the opportunity and about all the big plans on board. And, and um, yeah, long story short, you know, I never thought I would leave Nashville, and but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to relocate to Owensboro because of the work there around the, the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum. What kind of background do you have to have when you send in your application? <laughs> what kind of job did they say? I jokingly say they were looking for a banjo player with an MBA, and I knew the, <laughs> I knew the other two people couldn't relocate. Right. So, um, I think that's what they were looking for. I think, um, I think they were looking for someone who was part of the bluegrass community, somebody who had some relationships and credibility, and but also someone who had a, a business background too, and could could uh, have a fighting chance to work through all the complexities of uh, transitioning to a new season with the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum, with the building project, and and really almost just reinventing the the organization, and um, and it's, uh, it's it's been a lot of work, but. Man, it's just been, um, you know, I tell people jokingly, and it's not really a joke, that oftentimes I'm breaking for lunch and dinner every day, but I never look at the clock. I never even think about it. And, uh, and I just love it just because, like you, I'm so passionate about this music and the people and the community. And there's not a person on planet Earth that I haven't introduced this music to who hasn't liked it. So I, I tell people, and I think it's the truth, people who say they don't like bluegrass have just never heard good bluegrass music. And so it's great. And to see the growth of the music and to be involved in something that points people to the beginnings and the history and the journey, but also the current artists, it's just a dream come true. All right, so it's just about a two-hour move from Nashville to Owensboro. Right. Where is Owensboro located, actually? 
Owensboro, Kentucky is western Kentucky, right on the Ohio River. So I tell people... It's, and we like the Ohio River yeah, in all our murder songs. That's right. One time I was there, and Fred Bartenstein said, you want to take a walk by the river? I said, I don't think so, <laughs> Too <Fred."> risky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So we're, we're, so we're two hours due north of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're in Louisville, Kentucky, if you just follow the Ohio River about an hour and 30 minutes west, southwest... And that's where Owensboro is. So located. is it best uh, reached? Is there an airport there or can people have to drive? What's the you're best gonna, way to get there? You're going to love this. So, so you can drive. It's very accessible. It's right off I-65 and, and north. Or in fact, there's a, um, uh, a spur of, of 65 now that takes you right to Owensboro Federal Highway. There is a fairly sizable airport in Evansville, Indiana, about 40 minutes away. But... Starting right after the first of the year, there are going to be two direct flights a day from Nashville to Evansville. I mean, to Owensboro, to our small little regional airport. Mm-hmm. Two direct flights a day from Nashville okay, straight that's to great. Owensboro. Yeah. But there has. When was the first museum built? So the first museum was established in 1991 and was really a, a byproduct of the International Bluegrass Music Association. You know, that was part of the vision is to have a business conference and an award show and a body that could uh, that could could work for the industry but establishing a hall of fame and a museum was always part of that that vision so it started in 1991 moved in, into some new digs in the early 2000s so this is really kind of 3.0 i mm-hmm. guess all yeah. right so the, it was a huge massive fundraising to mm-hmm. start a new museum mm-hmm. in, which i've seen pictures it's beautiful yeah uh, if people arrive down in Owensboro, uh, is there plenty of things that would bring, you know, yeah. wonderful restaurants, yeah. wonderful hotels, uh, all of that is there yeah. for the tourists? Well, it's, it's worth the trip because not only for us, but in Owensboro, it's just really rich in culture. And, and the Hall of Fame and Museum is right downtown, really on the best piece of real estate in Owensboro. So it's right downtown, a great hotel right next door to the Hall of Fame and Museum all these great restaurants and shopping that's all within walking distance as i mentioned we're on the ohio river so there's a great river walk it's about five blocks which is just so beautiful it's just awesome but while you're there as well um we uh we have a local bourbon distillery that's on the bourbon trail called oz tyler um, that's distilled right there in owensboro they have a wonderful visitor experience there at, Mm -hmm. uh, at oz tyler and then you know uh, Owensboro is known for barbecue, and they've got a rich tradition in barbecue. So, some wonderful barbecue restaurants there. One being, is it the Moonlight? Moonlight Barbecue. Okay. That's right. And to top it off, if you're a bluegrass nerd like I am, Bill Monroe's home place and his gravesite mm-hmm. is only about 30 minutes from Owensboro in nearby Rosine. So, and there's a Bill Monroe Museum there. Too. And I have to tell you, once when I came to Romp and went through the mm-hmm. museum and all, mm-hmm. I was with Pete and Kitsy Kaikenal. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go through the Bill Monroe home place, mm-hmm. no one better than Pete Kuykendall to take you there. Yeah. What amazed me is even in this day and age, mm-hmm. it's not easy to get to mm-hmm. uh, Rosine. That's right. And it, it really struck home to me how those Monroe brothers really must have had a passion mm-hmm. to get out of Rosine, get their music out to the world. Yeah. And it's quite an experience to go to his home place. I think it is, and, and it's, it's worth the trip. Again, if you're into bluegrass music, 
there there's a lot to do there in Owensboro and the surrounding area just mm-hmm. as uh, as a destination and and there is a new bluegrass I'm, I'm sorry a Bill Monroe museum in Rosine that just opened about a year and a half ago right so there's I, even more to see you can visit the cemetery mm-hmm. some That's people right. say what well actually it's mm-hmm. a very moving experience to visit there it I is. think and I think that's what gives us our credibility is the IBMA and the institution of the Hall of Fame that we're able to exhibit, but the fact that we're close to the source of bluegrass music, which mm. is Rosine, Kentucky, the home place and, and the final resting place of Bill Monroe. All right, so I've taken your yep. invitation and I've arrived at the front doors mm-hmm. of the museum. You greet me. Take me through the museum. Absolutely. So I will say live music energizes everything we do, which was important to me as, as it should be. So to the right, you'll see the, a beautiful 450-seat theater, state-of-the-art. We can capture audio and video there, but so it's just built for music, built for acoustic music, and it's the Woodward Theater. And then... And Mr. Mm-hmm. Woodward, tell us uh, all about yeah. him, because he had really a great vision for sure. this museum. Well, Terry Woodward was uh, was one of the catalysts for the IBMA and its establishment. I know there was a lot of talk about um, bluegrass music organizing back in the 80s, but um, Terry Woodward is from Owensboro, Kentucky, and... Um, he owned uh, record companies, didn't he? That's right. Record. He owned uh, Waxwork, which was Waxworks, which is a record distributor, as well as Disc Jockey Records, which was uh, a, a record retailer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, very passionate about the music, very passionate about his hometown of Owensboro, Kentucky. But he approached a lot of the folks um, who were uh, talking about organizing bluegrass music back in the mid '80s on behalf of Owensboro, not on behalf of Terry Woodward or Waxworks, but really on behalf of the city of Owensboro to help them organize and give them a place to land, give the IBMA a home. And um, and so he was instrumental in, in, in helping um, helping put some of the some of the strategic plan into place early early on. And that's why the IBMA was founded in Owensboro initially. That's right. where it started. Well nice that he got a theater named after him. So that's on the right hand side of the front that's door. Right. Yeah. Then what happens? Well on the left hand side we have a spacious lobby and we do a lot of private events there, a lot of music even in the lobby, but to the left, you'll see a museum store and ticketing box office. So all the information, this great museum store with with items, including CDs and records that you can buy there. Um, but that's where you first check in. And then two floors of exhibits there. And we were talking earlier, our first exhibit, which is near and dear to me, is called our Picking Parlor. It's an interactive museum exhibit, but it's populated with great instruments from Deering banjos, from Martin guitars, from Paul Beard resonator guitars. Eastman mandolins, we have two upright basses, we have fiddles, and so that's where if you've never played one of these instruments, it's your chance to make a joyful noise and strum it and see what it sounds like. But it's populated populated with pro level instruments. So when really good pickers come in and they come in every day, they feel comfortable sitting down and jamming and making music, and I love that. When I come out of my office and I hear that, it just uh, does my heart good, and. I must admit, I can't resist going down and making a little music with oh. them, too. So that's part of my job. Okay. As you have to check out the equipment there. That's right. So then we have two floors of exhibits. The first floor kind of tells the story of bluegrass, but it's it's populated with just great historic photography and, and video and all these images and artifacts that tell that story. And then on the second floor, um, the heart and soul of our... Um, of our Hall of Fame Museum is the actual Hall of Fame exhibit, which has the plaques of all these great Hall of Fame members that have been inducted. And, and that you do in connection with the IBMA awards ceremony exactly. and the voting mechanisms and sure. all. 
I tell people our relationship with the IBMA is similar to the relationship that the CMA enjoys with the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum, in that the Hall of Fame is uh, the IBMA oversees that. It's their institution, but we give it a place. We exhibit the Hall of Fame and celebrate those artists of the Hall of Fame, give folks a destination to learn about those great artists. And uh, one of the ways we do that is through this great project that's ongoing called the Video Oral History Project. So, sure, you can see the images and read the plaques, but for many of these Hall of Fame members, we have video, documentary-style video interviews, so you can listen to their story in their own words, and it's just, it's just amazing to, to hear, hear their story. Um, and it's drawn out of them by skillful interviewers like Eddie Stubbs. I know he does a lot of the interviews um, in that project. So it's great to sit down and listen to Earl Scruggs or listen to, to, to Doyle Lawson or, um, or Ralph Stanley or Bobby and Sonny Osborne to, for them to, to, to just walk through their career and all those milestones in their own words. And I just, I just love that. And, and who is um, uh, who's in charge of that? University of Kentucky? Yeah, so we, we capture those interviews, but we are partnering with the University of Kentucky, the, the Nunn Library uh, at the University of Kentucky. So they've become a bit of a partner. We can capture these these uh, interviews, but they take those, make sure they're in a preserved format, and also they can index those interviews. Then they have a system where you can access those through touchscreens at, um, at our Hall of Fame and, and Museum. So thanks to them, they are really useful, and they're accessible uh, to anybody that comes to visit the Hall of Fame So not Museum. only fans, but researchers would use those. Yeah, absolutely, and that happens quite a bit. And um, it's great to have an academic in institution that we can work with to, uh, to grant rights to, uh, to certain parts of the video oral history project. Mm -hmm. um, so it might be used in a documentary, say, like, mm -hmm. I don't know if they actually did use anything, mm -hmm. but the, the Kentucky Educational Television, yeah. would they have used some archival yeah, and they did. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples, like uh, Kentucky Educational Television. They spent several weeks um, at our place in two different settings. So uh, we really um, gave them quite an assist in, as they were putting together that documentary, Big Family, right. the documentary on bluegrass music. Which was beautifully done. It was beautifully done. And in fact, we were kind of working on the same project as they were. We were just further ahead of them in terms of how are we telling this story. What are some of the milestones and the people? Mm -hmm. So they they accessed our archive, including the VOHP, um, the Sam Bush story revival, um, the documentary um, director of that film um, spent almost a week at our at our facility as well. So we are a research institution and want to get better and better at that as our collection becomes more and more robust. Uh, but it's great to have partners like like. Uh, University of Kentucky Nun, Nun Center to mm -hmm. partner with. Uh, All right, so we come out of the Video Oral History Project. Where are we yeah. going next? So on the second floor, too, there's that's the green room for artists, and it's pretty plush for a green room. I've been in a lot of them, and I know you have, too. But uh, it's good living in the green room at the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum. Also on the second floor is an, a, is a, an audio um, production room and a video production room. Those are both tied to the Woodward Theater because in essence, it's a it's a theater for live music, but we can also capture multi-track for uh, for for audio. I mean, we've done some things with Sirius XM, public radio, or public radio and Sirius XM. Also, it's a bit of a television studio too, so we have six cameras embedded into that room, so we can do full-on production for public television for live streams, and uh, 
Because again, I think live bluegrass music energizes everything that we do and it's kind of the gateway to, to capture people's interest and to highlight these great artists. Also, we have a multi-use space on the second floor that we use for our Saturday lessons programs for the Which music is what? camps. That's free, is am I correct on that? Well, the Saturday lessons program is heavily subsidized. Last year we had, last spring we had over 300 students involved in Saturday lessons learning banjo, mandolin, fiddle, and guitar. Are they mostly kids? It ranges from our youngest participant this past spring was six years old. The oldest, oldest participant was over 80. We have entire families, multi-generational families, learning to play music together, which is awesome. But thanks to some fundraisers and to some private foundation grants, we're able to make free instrument loans to people who are participating in that program and also subsidize the cost of these lessons and offer scholarships. We just want to make it accessible to anyone. We don't want the cost of the lessons or the fact that someone can't afford to purchase an instrument to be a barrier. So that's a great thing to help to build the community of bluegrass music. Plus we use that for, uh, for meeting space when um, leader, uh, IBMA's leadership bluegrass alumni uh, wanted to do their off-site conference. They came to the Hall of Fame Museum and some of the core meetings um, took place on the second floor. Well, as an adult uh, learner mm -hmm. for banjo, I'm really glad that uh, it's not just for kids. That, yeah. You know, it's for every but all ages. Oh, absolutely. And you know as well as I do, that's what I love about bluegrass music is the fact that there are really no boundaries from uh, in that regard. In fact, I've gotten into two really good jam sessions since I've been here uh, this week, and both of them involve teenagers. And uh, I just think that was that's so awesome. It just gives, does my heart good to know that there are kids who are crazy about this music now as I was back in the 70s when I was going to bluegrass festivals and jamming. So. And then on the third floor, we have a, a private event space that is used, and it has a beautiful view of the Ohio River, and it's pretty plush. And so we have everything from folks who are in town at our convention center wanting to do an off-site reception. Um, when Owensboro was named a top 10 music city by Brand USA, which is essentially the marketing international marketing arm for the United States of America, they did their press release and, and event on the third floor um, of our building. Um, so we do a lot of private events. But the reason we do a lot of private events is that people who are, uh, especially if they're doing an offsite event through a private um, event through a, a foundation or someone at the convention center, they want to plug into something that's culturally relevant to Western Kentucky. So. To, when they discover that uh, that Western Kentucky and Owensboro is, is close to the source of bluegrass music, which is Bill Monroe's home place, and that, that it's uh, it's such a great facility with all this history and this rich culture, but then you can bring in a live bluegrass band, too, to be a part of that event. It doesn't hurt. You might be able to include a little Kentucky bourbon from oh. Ozzie Tyler <laughs> as well, but... It just makes for for a wonderful event. It's How great about to be weddings? Do you have weddings there? You we do, do great. Weddings yeah. as well. Yeah, we've even had you know a lot of wedding receptions, rehearsal dinners, and we've even had several instances in just less than a year where people have actually jumped the broom right there at our place and gotten you know said their vows. <laughs> and it's interesting because sometimes it's happened more than once that that. Oftentimes, you know, the groom and sometimes the bride are they're a bluegrass nerd or a musician, and so it's just a cool space. You know, it's 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 a fun music, but it's so rich in culture 
and heritage. And I think people just love that. There's something that's really authentic about our music and the people involved in it. Folks are just drawn to it. So it's great to see that kind of energy around our Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and Museum. All right, so is there any extra space uh, left over for expansion? And what are you thinking about? (laughs) Well, we do have uh, some real estate. Part of that, I will say, on the north side of our building is taken up with a permanent outdoor stage that opens up into a great uh, amphitheater. There's no permanent seating, but a great grassy area. And we've done several live events um, outdoors as well. But we do have a parking lot that if we have to um, to develop that along the way, that's just what we'll have to do. But uh, but I encourage folks to, to come. It's, a, it's worth the trip, not just for the Hall of Fame, but all that there is to do in Owensboro and to visit everything there is to see in nearby Rosine around Bill Monroe's home place. And the museum, uh, are you the producers for Romp? And I believe that stands for River of Music Party, (laughs) is that right? That's right. In addition to everything else, we we do produce a four-day music festival the last weekend of um, June each year called Romp Fest. It's kind of outgrown the city center, so it takes place just a few miles outside of town in a county-owned park that is just a beautiful setting. It's awesome. It's great for camping. We have over 2,000 campers that show up. We do these uh, these great workshops. Um, we have a lot of activities for kids. Um, and we have these free shuttles that bring you downtown to the Hall of Fame. And this was the first year this past June that the, that the new Hall of Fame was open during romp. We had Del McCurry do oh. something in the in the lobby. What could be better than that? Yeah, nothing. Yeah, Del uh, Della May came one day and did did something in the lobby, some live music in the lobby, and so it's just great to be able to tie those things, those two things together. One thing I didn't ask when we were at the front desk mm-hmm. is there an admission price? There is an admission price. It's twelve dollars uh, admission to the Hall of Fame if you want to uh, get in and explore the exhibits. There's a discount for senior citizens or military or groups. And we do accommodate groups. You know, we have uh, more and more coaches pulling up to the front door these days uh, to do a group tour. And when we have groups like that, we'll do a high touch, you know, a guided tour and involve some music and get people involved. So um, we do a lot of educational tours with students as well. So never a dull moment every day is different how does someone arrange this through your website and what is your sure the website is simply bluegrasshall.org so you can go through the website and uh, there's plenty of contact information so certainly call us or shoot us an email and uh, for more information and uh, the website also has information about upcoming concerts in fact we've got a concert series coming up um, this uh, this fall that includes um, we Banjo 3 and Della May and the Steel Drivers and the Grasskulls and the Poe Ramblin' Boys and Balsam Range. So it's fun to plan a visit around a concert as well. It's just a bonus. Right. Top-notch yeah. entertainment, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, that's Jeanette and, and Johnny Williams in the background, which <laughs> have been uh, supplying all our music. And thanks to them, it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, so... What if someone uh, opens their attic and they find Grandpa John's, you know, (laughs) mandolin or banjo? Are there acquisitions that you don't want or acquisitions that would be acceptable for? Well, I'd say if you have something that you think would be good for to to be preserved and to, to have a permanent home, just give us a call. In fact, our curator, his name is Matthew Hill. He's a 
He's a, a PhD level professional and um, he's worked with some big institutions including the Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix and so he's a musician as well but um, it'll be in good hands. He can certainly advise you on on that so by all means we um, but they we, might come across old sheet music or they yeah. might come across old newspaper articles or photographs right. I would imagine right and that happens on a weekly basis mm -hmm. honestly for us we get inquiries phone calls people even just drop in so yeah we definitely want to be the, the the place and and the in, an institution that people feel like they can have confidence in that their artifact is uh, is safe. I think about I think about some of the artifacts we have now. Like a, I'm a dobro player as well as a banjo player, and we have, you know, the the the, the dobro that uh, that Josh Graves used on all those Flatten Scruggs recordings, for instance. You know, so you know, and one of John Hartford's banjos. And it's just great that uh, that folks like that trust us with iconic instruments like that. Um, but so many folks in our bluegrass community have. A great collection themselves and things that uh, that they've been personally preserving and if they want to have a partner in that we certainly welcome that any inquiries along those lines. Oh, speaking of partners all of this costs money I know you're probably <laughs> paying off the building and right. and all of that so what uh, can people make donations obviously mm -hmm. I've been in public radio for my career and we want to encourage people to right. support what they love uh, Tell me about what some of those monies are going towards, mm -hmm. which projects. Right. So we do have a development director. Her name's Deb Philman, and, um, and so she can certainly answer any questions, too, if folks have questions. But, yeah, so we are a 501c3 nonprofit uh, as well, so, so donations are, are tax deductible. So, you know, you can become a member um, for 50 bucks or... Uh, you can become a member as a as a, a couple uh, for for I think ninety dollars. There's a discount there, um, but then but then also folks who just want to to get involved and, and donate. Some folks like to like to just give us a gift to use where we need to where we need to apply it. But some folks have a natural interest in some programs that we're already engaged in that are near and dear to their heart. Whether it's for the video, video oral history project or for Bluegrass in the Schools, <coughs> that program, or our Saturday Lessons or Instrument Loan program, um, or just Artifact Acquisition. So you can earmark that and restrict a donation um, toward a specific program or initiative. And um, But every bit of that helps. We're working really hard to be sustainable from, uh, from an earned revenue side. In, in other words, you know, um, offering things to the public through private events or programming that people just want to pay for that they feel like is value, valuable. But we work with a, with a host of private foundations and the Kentucky Arts Council and other organizations that like to fund the arts. And uh, so we certainly work on, on all fronts. But nothing beats just the bluegrass community that's passionate about this wanting to, to engage. We even have some folks from an estate planning standpoint that that um, that uh, name us in their estate, and that's happened several times, and that's just such a, an unexpected blessing, you know, when that when that happens to to help us continue in this in this great work that we oh, all love. So I'm sure <clears throat> all the names and your phone number and their titles and all that can be found on your website, which once again is yeah, the website is bluegrasshall.org, and again, my name's Chris Joslin, so. Um, 
So if you're ever in doubt, just call and ask for me, and I can help you personally or, or uh, connect you with one of my colleagues who can. And another fundraising initiative, you can get your, your name on a specific seat in Woodward Theater. So if you want to sponsor a I seat. I got that as a I Christmas know. present last Isn't year. Isn't that great? I was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and so many people have done that, you know, for, for family members that uh, that they know, or even members of their family who've passed on, they just want to honor them with that legacy of having something permanent and tangible in the Hall of Fame and Museum. So you put uh, your name on the back of the yeah. seat so and, it's a small and a little, little thing about that person's. That's and, right. Yeah, that was a really great present. Thank yeah. you, Bill, which is who is my <laughs> husband. Yeah. That was fun. That was nice. All right, Bill. so thanks. You may see me and yeah. a bunch of other people who are listening to the podcast, Bluegrass Stories. Yes. Uh, we'll show up in Owensboro. Hey, if you come, bring your picks. Even if you forget them, we've got picks. We can I play Claw Hammer. I don't need any picks. <laughs> that was Chris Joslin, Executive Director of the Bluegrass Hall of Fame and Museum, talking with Katie. For more information about the hall and museum, visit bluegrasshall.org. Bluegrass Stories is hosted and can be heard on soundcloud.com. It can also be listened to on Google Podcasts, Facebook at Bluegrass Stories, katydaily.com, and the new Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. I'm Howard Parker. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.